I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This episode of Base Layer is brought to you by Nexo. Nexo is instant and efficient, just like the SAD. They offer a complete digital asset banking service featuring savings accounts with up to 12% interest, digital asset credit for just 5.9% APR, in exchange with 75 digital asset and fiat pairs and top prices, and loads more all wrapped up for you in a single Nexo wallet. Try it now at nexo.io, that's N-E-X-O.io, or search for the Nexo wallet app on Google Play or in the App Store. There's nearly 60 billion in the DeFi ecosystem today. The platforms are incredible, but there's still one major issue, fees. That's why I'm glad to partner with Paraswap. They've quickly become the connective tissue between various DeFi apps, including DEXs and other DeFi services like Compound and Aave. The new algorithm brings your gas cost down by 30%. If you want to access DeFi platforms with the cheapest fee possible, I highly recommend Paraswap. This is David. This is your new episode of Base Layer. Really excited. I've had a chance to interact with this person a few times in some of these kind of virtual crypto digital asset get togethers now. Very knowledgeable. Greg from the CEO of Overclock Labs and lead developer of Akash is with me today. Greg, how are you? Doing fantastic, David. Great to be here. So what really drew me to what Greg and his team are doing there at Akash was this idea of building the world's first decentralized open source cloud and dCloud for DeFi. Um, We'll go into some of the things I thought were really, really interesting in your mission statement and white paper and some of the technical aspects of it. Uh, But before we get too far down the weeds with obviously Akash and everything you're doing there, what we'd like to do is start off with our founder and uh, the person that we're talking to and find out a little bit more what they did prior to this. I know you spent some time at IBM and uh, for several different places along the way. So we'd love to hear kind of about your background. What did you do prior? And what really was the driving catalyst for you to actually start putting all of your time and energy into things like a cash? Sure. So my background, I'm a applied economist and a computer scientist. Uh, been a programmer for a little over 25 years and uh, began my career, um, you know, early days, I was consulting with IBM, uh, primarily in the distributed computing space. Uh, but my last 10 years or so, I've been primarily focused on shipping developer tooling. Founded a company called Angel Hack to take uh, hackathons to the masses. Uh, the hackathons were a very underground concept uh, in 2011. And we felt that uh, the innovation that happens uh, could see the mainstream light, so created a company uh, to to make that happen, and um, that's really where I got incredible uh, opportunity to get a more 
deeper understanding uh, of developers under duress and also helped launch several successful products. So one of the uh, biggest successes of uh, AngelHack would be Firebase. And if you know Firebase, uh, it's the Google Cloud's most loved database today. Uh, I helped launch that at AngelHack and several other developer-focused products. And um, one one of the common themes that that I you know, kind of discovered, uh, you know, working with developers at AngelHack was there is a, a huge friction point uh, that developers experience while taking their uh, software that they developed on their workstations to uh, making it available to the customers or deploying on the cloud. So I decided to, you know, focus my energies there because that seemed to be the biggest uh, pain point at that time. It still does to a certain degree. And um, uh, started contributing and getting involved in this early technologies called Google Kubernetes. Um, Google Kubernetes back then was a small project and today it's used by 80% of the cloud. So got into that and really started contributing to that um, and several other uh, core infrastructure products and created a company, Overclock Labs, to take Kubernetes to market. Uh, this is back in 2015. And as we were deploying this Kubernetes uh, in data centers across the walls, what we discovered was 85% or so uh, of compute capacity that sits in these data centers remains unused. The reason uh, being most data centers are planned for peak capacity to handle peak loads. And most of the time, those peak loads happen um, in very few instances, right? Like if you look at Intuit, uh, the company behind TurboTax, uh, they only peak maybe three months in a year during tax season. And most of the time, they're like running at maybe 3% uh, utilization. And this is a common pattern we see. So there was this enormous underutilized capacity sitting in these data centers. And um, so on, on one hand, on the other hand, there are these cloud companies, essentially, cloud service providers, we call them, Amazon Web Services and and Google Cloud and Alibaba and Microsoft Azure and these companies, I think, uh, having a joint market share of, of about 80% or so in a $300 billion market are increasingly getting profitable, right? So there, there was this disconnect and increasing getting profitable and you know getting a lot of lines. So we discovered this disconnect and this inefficiency on uh, unlocking uh, this capacity and we had the software and the know-how and uh, that was the foundation for Akash Network, which essentially is a marketplace to unlock this capacity and give developers a cloud that was really designed uh, for for software that's developed in 2021. And a lot of these old uh, arcane providers are are uh, haven't quite caught you know haven't quite kept up with the needs of a modern developer and whatnot. And when we decided to do this, we wanted to do an open product because we didn't want to become the part of the problem itself. Right. So there's a lot there. So everyone who doesn't know what Kubernetes are, you know, you can quickly search that. There's also something called Docker, which you'll find as well too. And you'll be able to kind of read up about that. Um, but there's a lot of things that I think people who listen to the show, you run a Google search and let's say you're looking for the best brownie recipe out there and you're running that on Google, just, you know, haphazardly, you just don't, you're not thinking about it. 
within milliseconds, it comes back and you have lots of different, you know, selections and that's all querying, different indexing and different parts of the, the internet out there. People just use it and they don't really understand what's happening there. And so what's really interesting is that this new kind of innovation, this new transformation going to distributed and decentralized systems, blockchains, et cetera, is not forcing, but it is opening people's eyes to how the current systems operate and how the current systems have inefficiencies and deficiencies. And so you guys talk about that very specifically um, in your white paper um, from a few years back. Um, while it wor- mostly works as advertised, we found that inefficiencies still plague the system as it relates to cloud computing. Now, this is something I've talked to Munib over at Blockstack on a number of different times on the show, that Web 1, effectively, was more of a hardware kind of purpose. Web 2, everything went to the cloud, per se, air quotes. But people really don't understand what the cloud is. If you ask most people that don't have a technical back- background, they would say, they would just point to the sky. Um, but that's not true, as you know. And so why do you think... You know, people just kind of, is it because everything is free and fast? This has been an ongoing discussion for a few years on the show. You know, obviously there's inefficiencies. And as I said, there are some deficiencies, which you all are handling there at a cash. But from a philosophical point of view, why do you think people just have used all of these different tools and apparatuses? Because, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of problems with them. I think really it comes down to sacrificing, you know, privacy and all the good stuff for comfort, right? So cloud is really for companies. You know, it's essentially, you know, if you had to break it down, it's essentially a computer running, running in a in a data center, which is a gigantic machine having lots of computers. So cloud really means uh, another computer somewhere else, right? So instead of storing your, you know, your data on your local or, uh, you know, in, in a uh, highly locally available uh, cluster, Storing it on the cloud gives you a lot more uh, reliability, a lot more uh, stability because it's it's a purpose-built uh, system. So um, I think when we talk about inefficiencies, right? And the number one inefficiency you'll see is cost. Right? So when you have you know companies like uh, Amazon, I think I believe the Amazon Web Services unit of uh, Amazon is valued around five hundred you know, billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It is the most uh, profitable unit of Amazon itself. And in fact, Andy Jazzy, who was the CEO of, uh, of AWS now runs Amazon itself, right? So it's so profitable that uh, they are essentially doubling down, tripping down on the business. And when we all know what happens when Amazon comes into, into, you know, <laughs> when Amazon is, is, is out for blood, right? So one of the biggest inefficiencies we see with them is this stifle. Uh, well, besides cost, uh, because it's a purpose, it's a profit, a for-profit entity. So they're going to nickel and dime you for everything, right? So they have this like Burgess and Fry's model where they like give you this fallacy of cheap compute and, and sort of like attract you, but really they sell you the whole package and you get locked in and it's proprietary and it's like there's no way you can like get out of it. And you have all these like crazy things that they put you through that you just end up paying this, uh, you know, Amazon tax bill, right? So for, for context, uh, machine learning companies today, uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz came out with a report recently, which is very fascinating. They said companies that, you know, they sit on a bunch of boards of so machine learning companies and they said, 
uh, about 20% of their margins are actually paid out to Amazon. So, and this is a very cutthroat business, right? It's, it's, it's almost like making these businesses unsustainable to a degree. So that's one thing. And another thing they do is uh, most of Amazon's revenue comes from managed services like databases, mm -hmm. caches, and whatnot. So they have about 200, 300 managed services. So there's this vanilla compute that, you know, it's sort of like self-managed, but really if you want to leverage the comfort of the of the cloud, you you pay for these managed services at a premium, essentially, right? And most of the software that runs on these managed services is open source, right? And so Amazon takes this open source software, offers you a hosted version of it, and charges you a premium. And now what they're doing effectively is stealing the business model from these open source companies. There was a lawsuit recently from Elastic Cash uh, that essentially Elastic Cash is this premium search service a lot of folks use. Uh, it's open source and developers love it. And their business model was to offer a hosted solution, right? So Amazon, you know, kind of like taking away the business model makes them unsustainable and they had to go to court to settle it out. Mm -hmm. And this is just one example, right? I mean, Amazon has about 200 of these services. They don't really create new software, but they, they I mean, for lack of a better word, steal software and offer that. And in fact, uh, if you look at, uh, it's funny because I was talking about this efficiency and New York Times came up with a gigantic op-ed, I think uh, end of 2019, I believe, mm -hmm. about the anti-competitive practices of Amazon. It's a really beautiful uh, insight. So it's a gigantic op-ed. You should uh, definitely check it out. Yep. It goes into like how they stifle innovation and whatnot. <clears throat> so, and that's what happens when we, you know, oligopolize and create this, uh, allow these companies to create competitive amounts and in modes and number one cost, of course, is a huge thing, but also stifling innovation, not uh, really giving opportunity for the smaller guys. So the Akash D-Cloud is, and now I'm going to read this off and we're going to talk about each one of these, censorship resistant, permissionless, self-sovereign, faster, more efficient, and lower cost cloud built for things like decentralized finance, DeFi, other decentralized projects and high growth companies providing unprecedented scale, flexibility, and price performance. You state it's up to 10x lower in cost and serverless computing platform is computer, uh, compatible with all cloud providers and all applications that run on the cloud. So we're going to talk about you know this idea of serverless. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about how it's interoperable, um, especially in the world of digital assets where you have things like Cosmos and others out there that try to harmonize, if you will, all of the different app applications, all of the native digital assets that support those applications, etc. So break it down a little bit. So the Akash, the cloud you know, again, let's talk about this idea of serverless. What does that mean to people who are listening to this, who, again, are probably more familiar with those massive, you know, kind of containers out there, you know, for industrial purposes, where you have all of those servers kind of computing all of that data. Um, what is serverless? How do we do this? Right. So typically, when you deploy software, you, you know, get access to a server on the cloud, and you configure the server, you install all the necessary software that your software requires an additional uh, external software. 
you uh, ensure that the server has reliability, the disks are working, if it needs to replace the disk, and that happens and all that, all the heavy lifting stuff you need to manage a server for, right? So Akash doesn't, uh, so that's obviously is, is a huge time sink and it's, you know, it takes a lot of uh, effort and skill uh, for developers, which most shouldn't really worry about. So what Akash offers is a pure serverless in the sense uh, it gives you a platform where you write the software that, uh, that, that, you know, that pertains to your business needs and not, and not a thing about that. And you package the software in your computer and just give us a package and it runs for you. It's a very modern way of running software. It just simplifies things quite a bit. Um, I think it cuts down time by like from 10 hours to like 10 minutes. Like, uh, that's the difference you see with Akash and Amazon. It's really a beautiful uh, experience. And it's permissionless. So there is no sign up. There is no login. We don't collect any information, um, not even your email. When you use a private key to sign uh, your uh, transactions and to verify your identity, um, it's a PKI system, public infrastructure system. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I mean, no one can stop you from using your cash, right? You and I can't, you know. So um, it's a decentralized self-sovereign system. It runs on a blockchain which is secured by a set of validators uh, spread across the world and validators, anybody can be a validator. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's again, that in itself is a permissionless system. Uh, and uh, no one can really, you know, it's, it's, it's a wild system. We don't run a single server ourselves. Uh, it's completely decentralized. So I want to hit just on a real quick thing. So I'm creating some sort of a software, you know, as a service, something out there, whether it's like, We'll have a little fun with this. A lift for dogs. So all of a sudden, you know, I've now written a software package where there are cars out there that are going to be able to find your dog and take them to a a vet or to some sort of, we'll just have some fun with it. But there's a software package that I've, I've delivered, I've created um, either in Python or whatever it may be. And so where does that live? So you're saying it doesn't live on a industrial complex, but it lives in some place that it's basically running. And so is that in this idea, you know, there's this idea of web three that we are now able to use, you know, personal worldwide computing that allows us to create this decentralized and distributed storage. Is that similar to kind of what you're doing here? So, yes. Uh, so there are about 8.2 million data centers in the world. Akash can essentially run on any of these data centers, right? So a lot of the data centers today on Akash are provided by Equinix, which is the data center that, that provides compute to Amazon itself. It's like one layer la- uh, lower. So very high performance data center. So you write an application, you lift for dogs, you package that application, and you send it to the Akash network. Nakash will you give the parameters as to how you want this uh, application to be run in terms of performance and whatnot, price performance, you set the price. And providers on the network will bid for that. And you choose the winning bid. Uh, usually the lower cost one normally wins the bid. And um, and that satisfies all your requirements. And uh, you know, you have your peer-to-peer sort of like engagement with the provider. But I, I want to make sure that at the end of the day, because this has been a problem. Let's say that whoever is providing you the the capacity here hates dogs. They're just mean people and they hate dogs. And they're like, you know what? We don't want to serve we don't want to provide that service anymore because we hate dogs. Can they effectively turn it off or what can they do? 
Yes, so they can kick you out, uh, but the system will go find another provider to to deploy that without you even noticing. Uh, yeah, without there's just yeah there are things that, that that you can do without you noticing. You mean you get a notification, but yeah, right, sure, yeah, okay. So we're still, you know, I, I think you probably have a vision in the future where that doesn't happen, where you know even if you hate dogs, tough, you know, or it doesn't, you know, you don't really have the ability to do that, correct? No, we. So we have to sort of give providers the ability to kick out things if they don't want to, right? Uh, because dogs are one thing, but what if what if it's, it's, it's worse things, you know? Right. Like really bad things. Could yeah, happen, of course. Right? That's why I was using dogs because obviously there are bad people around the world who want to, yes. Do things. So providers need to have the ability to uh, choose. It's a free market. They should have the ability to choose who they want to host, right? Uh, but the idea is opening the market to anybody to provide compute. So, you know, there are going to be people that like dogs and there are going to be people, people that don't like dogs. It's a free right. market. And I think you should, uh, you should def- definitely have a system. So the system is built, um, to, uh, to, en- to ensure a smooth transition from one provider to another provider, uh, without, without stopping the software, essentially. Got so it. that's what the system does, right? Um, but it's completely up to you uh, what, I mean, in, yeah, if, if free mar- if, you know, there's a saying that you know, freedom of speech doesn't give you the right to yell fire in a theater. Mm-hmm. So that's really, that's, that's how we look at it. And let's talk about this idea of um, interoperability. And as I said, again, you know, this seems to open up the possibility for multiple different chains with their native digital asset that is probably used in some form of staking the network and doing the work of the network. How does that work? You know, is this, you know, effectively um, a propagation or kind of a furthering of, you know, kind of what Cosmos was doing in terms of just so people understand you know, there are now several hundred, if you even want to, you know, there's, I'd say there's probably thousands of digital assets out there, but the majority of them, you know, are probably not even worth spending a second of your time on. But there are blockchains out there that are doing things either from an indexing kind of perspective, or there are pieces of, you know, kind of services out there like uh, the graph for instance that provides a lot of the indexing data or live peer that provides video compute um you know how does that all kind of work together you know in this kind of framework because this is the really the kind of as i say the golden chalet of kind of blockchain where all of these different blockchains all of these different digital assets all of these pieces that were once disparate and handling certain pieces of potential web3 come together so how does that work with a cash good question so uh, they're amazing services i mean web3 is kind of just having a cambrian explosion right so you have uh services like uh some of the services you mentioned but services like new cipher which does key management services like uh saya which does uh storage long-term storage um handshake which does uh you know uh, uh DNS, right? So, and uh, you have uh, Sentinel, which does uh, VPN or, or bandwidth marketplaces that are called Norkin and whatnot. So, you have these amazing services, and one really uh, need to interoperate and in- integrate these services to have full experience of a decentralized cloud, right? So, uh, someone deploying an application of Cache need 
need storage and we don't provide long-term storage. It's Sai or Filecoin or any of these guys, right? They need DNS. We don't do DNS. I mean, we rather, you know, we, we have people go on Handshake and do that. But the experience is so broken right now. So every each one of these sort of like networks have their own token that you require uh, to perform transactions and uh, you have to sign with their own set of keys and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? Ideally, in a, in a real world, an ideal world, we want a smooth sort of like experience for a developer where you just come, say what you want to do and the system should handle that. And that's still the holy grail of, uh, of where we are going with interoperability. And Cosmos happened to uh, be the first, um, and I believe the only system that launched an interoperable network um, recently with IBC. And we are the core contributors to IBC and we, we developed the relayer, we developed several components. And we are one of the first chains to enable IBC. Um, so with IBC, we will be able to integrate a lot of these networks and have that s- smooth, uh, frictionless experience where the developer uh, can choose what token they want to pay with. It could be an Akash token, it could be a Handshake token, it could be a Graph token, you know, hopefully when that happens. Um, so it could be any token. Like today, you can choose to pay with any currency using any credit card, right? So, so that's really the holy grail we're going after. And I think that's also going to distribute liquidity and uh, sort of like enable usability for a lot of these protocols because a big challenge today, as you know, is distribution, right? People love New Cypher. I love New Cypher, but people, they're having their challenges because, you know, in order to use New Cypher, it's extremely hard, right? Unless you know what you're doing, like proxy, proxy re-encryption, right? So right. that's not a use case that you wake up every day and be like, hey, I want to do this, right? So... Uh, but it makes sense when you have an application that needs encryption, which most applications do. Uh, instead of writing your own service, you can use New Cipher, right, to store your keys and whatnot. Right. So while we're getting close to the end of our chat, and this is going to be one of many chats because I think what you're doing is fascinating. The Mini, you have a product out there that you refer to as the Mini, the Akash Super Mini the world's smallest, slickest, and most powerful portable supercomputer. Talk to us about that. The Super Mini is a plug-in earned device, we call it. It's a really a, a, a GPU cluster that sits in your home and uh, really designed for like tinkerers or researchers, AI researchers. Um, ML happens to be the, one of the biggest use cases for Akash that we, we are really excited about because the cost on the cloud is super expensive. What Super Mini does is it brings the car, it brings it by bringing the device to the home, uh, and and essentially utilizing the subsidized bandwidth and the power that you get in the home, because most of the cost in a data center is the power. If you think about it, and kind of like resells that to a user at a significantly lower cost. So by distrib- and and machine learning is one of those use cases where you do not have the uh, data gravity issues like our latency uh, requirements that mm-hmm. web applications normally uh, require. Uh, so it's an ideal system uh, to be deployed in the home, and uh, and you know uh, the experience is designed in a way that you just just earns and sells this compute on the Akash network at a significantly lower cost, uh, and uh, you keep the profits. It's very it's been inspired by Helium essentially. Mm-hmm. If you that's what I was going to ask you about. Yep, big fan of Helium. I bought the device in 2019 and it's been extremely, extremely profitable. That's great to hear. Um, 
what we'd like to do towards the end is just get a sense of any kind of roadmap and milestones for the remaining of the year into next year. What are some things that we should be looking out for as you continue to build and continue to bring things to market? Um, let us know about that now. So the biggest thing we launched and we're live, so the biggest thing you should be watching out for is uh, adoption. So we have about uh, currently, I think about four major networks, uh, really top 100 networks uh, uh, evaluating Akash to run either test nets or, uh, or nodes and whatnot, because you know, being a crypto cloud, you know, being permissionless and whatnot is very attractive to, to the, uh, the audience from an ideological sense. And uh, so our next, I could say like two, three quarters are going to be focused on, on adoption. And uh, you're going to see a lot of exciting updates there. But from a features and a capability updates, uh, we'll be launching uh, the world's first GPU marketplace. So that's going to be very exciting because there's enormous amount of GPUs that are getting uh, essentially unlocked with Ethereum and a lot of these networks going to proof of stake. Mm -hmm. So we believe uh, that uh, currently GPUs are extremely expensive on, on Amazon. So opening that marketplace and really unlocking and enabling these machine learning workloads to use that, um, you know, uh, unused. Oh, they're uh, going to be able to gonna... use the capacity now because exactly. they're not going to be. Oh, guys, so, those that are listening, please just break that down a little bit more. This is really an important point. So the the machinery effectively that has been used to mine and participate in Ethereum is going to be changing as they're going to a staking network. So just break it down a little bit more because that's really important. I forgot, I, I don't have that numbers on top of my head because a lot of these machine, Ethereum network essentially runs on GPUs, right? Um, and that's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. There's a lot of mining hardware that's out there that uh, will need to, is currently you know, mining Ethereum. When Ethereum moves to a proof of stake, uh, which is compute heavy and not GPU heavy, all that hardware is becomes useless. And it's really good hardware. So... Um, and there is no marketplace. There's no sort of like liquidity mechanism other than to sell these in a secondary market, which, which we know how that works, right? So mm -hmm. uh, the solution is to install Akash and uh, have uh, you know users run Terra, uh, TensorFlow applications or any of these machine learning applications and uh, take advantage of this uh, cheap compute that's going to be out there. And they would be incentivized to do that because of your native token, correct? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So if you have a machine learning cluster, you install Akash and you earn Akash tokens to, uh, to serve. Yeah. Got it. And this one of the things that good. about Akash is it's a gen generic cloud platform. So any machine learning application can run essentially. It's not like a specialized, uh, computing, uh, uh, language or anything like that. If it runs on Amazon, it runs on Akash. That's a really, again, a very, very solid point. And one that everyone should be mining, uh, kind of minding, you know, kind of managing that. That's a really good point. Greg, where can people learn more about what you're doing there at Akash? Akash Network is our uh, website and our blog is very, very active and we publish quite a bit. Um, uh, Docs.akashnetwork is, is, is the best place for your developer. I really encourage uh, people to go check it out. And I want you to go deploy something on Amazon, deploy something on Akash and tell me what the experience we believe the decentralized nature of it is just a significant uh, better experience, just like how Uniswap is way better than most of the centralized alternatives, minus the gas fees, which, which Akash doesn't. So um, it's the Uniswap style deployment experience uh, 
for the cloud. Uh, so the, that, that's really uh, uh, the best way to learn about Akash, the product, using the product. Awesome. Again, this will be one of a few because there's lots to, to unpack here. I love this kind of theme and narrative out there of really kind of decentralizing further uh, this idea of web uh, where we're trying to build to a web 3.0. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. And uh, we'll be catching up with you soon. Thank you so much, David. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.